0: Thank you. Oh, it's really nice to be here. Really nice to see you all. Uh, as Mark said, my name is Tom. I, I'm sure some of you either know me or at least recognize my face. I like to think I've got a recognizable face, a face that you might remember. Um, I go to the Fording Bridge site of NLCC. I've come to Wimborne and preached a couple of times, and I've seen you at other, other kind of events. But if I haven't met you before, it's really, really nice to meet you. I'm not going to lie, uh, I, I was absolutely terrified about this preach. And when I came today, I was, I, was, I was trembling, but it does help standing here, seeing your friendly looking faces. So that, that certainly, certainly helps. Uh, so yeah, my name's Tom. I've, I've been at um, Fordham Site NLCC for about six years. Uh, I've got two, I want to say small children, but I fear they're not actually small anymore. I know I was to chat outside about the fact that they might end up being the tallest people in the world. Uh, and I'm also married to Ellie, who's that person just there. So um, There we go, that's me. Now, uh, when, as we are doing in NLCC, we have a preaching series through Books of the Bible, one of the great blessings is that sooner rather than later, you get to preach on pretty much everything. One of the main disadvantages of doing that is that sooner or later, you end up preaching on pretty much everything. Because I'm about to read something from Mark 10... That might sound quite um, quite harsh, maybe quite condemning. However, as we unpack it, I pray, that we will understand what Jesus is actually saying, and we'll actually discover that it's talking about freedom and hope and grace. Because, and you can probably imagine when I first read this, I thought, oh no, not me, please. Jesus is asked a question regarding marriage and divorce. Now before I read it, I totally appreciate I'm speaking to a group of people who I, who I don't know really, really well. So some of you may have gone through a divorce and some may have questions about that, as in, did I disobey God when I got a divorce? Am I a failure because my marriage failed? Am I living in sin because I've remarried? If it wasn't right for me to divorce, was it right for me to remarry? It's really complex, complicated questions. Most of you, if not all, may know or have friends or family that have been through a divorce. Like my, I, had, I went through, with my parents, went through a really not particularly amicable divorce when I was quite young. And that did have an impact on me. As a Christian, people may come to you asking for advice, asking for your counsel, asking you questions. <laughs> Hopefully, this talk today may give you security about what you may be able to say back. So these are real-life questions, and normally I try and bring a lot of my personality into this, which is taking things with a jovial, comical sense. I don't think that is... I'm going to read the room and read the passage and realize that may not be quite what we can do today. So th- this, is, this is my... This is me trying to be as serious as I can because I do feel like this warrants serious Tom rather than silly Tom. So uh, with the hope of the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at what God's Word says about this sensitive subject. Many of you might be surprised where we actually land with this and some of you may discover that a heavy burden has been lifted because of God's grace and love for you. Right, as I said, Mark 10. We're going to do Mark 10, Mark 10. Verses 1 through 2, I think it's, yes, 12. Okay. Right, here we go. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, "'Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?' "'What did Moses command you?' he replied." They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote wrote you to this law. Jesus replied, But at the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate." When they were there in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Right, so um, I'm going to pray. A classic Tom prayer, which is really short and simple. Heavenly Father, through my weak human words, give us grace to hear your true and living word. Amen. Okay, so those verses might have sounded pretty cold and harsh. The reason it sounds rough is because we often filter the Bible's meaning through our lens, our culture, and our experiences. If this is new to you, let me say up front, what you think... It says is not actually what it says. Let me try and show you some truth that will change how you feel towards it. So I'm going to approach this passage by splitting it up into the two A's. The attack and the answer. According to verse 2, when Jesus got into the region of Judea, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him. With the question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? So, how is this a trap? How is this attacking? Well, what we need to realize is the context as to the culture was like then, but also the motivation behind the question. So Matthew and Mark both comment about this encounter. Matthew adds something very significant to the question. Matthew said the Pharisees asked should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason and that little bit at the end is quite key Jesus knows exactly what they are referring to and this is why in verse 3 Jesus answered them with another question what did Moses say about the law about in the law about divorce now the law that Jesus is referring to Is in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which basically says Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from the house. That's the law that we're talking about. Now, one quick thing to point out is why this certificate was introduced in the first place by Moses. It was a very male-dominated environment, culture, society, and there were no regulations as to how marriages could have been ended. For example, if a man was married, it was completely okay for him just one day go, nah, bring another woman back to the home, apologies being crude, take her to bed and kick the wife out, And that was it. That was perfectly acceptable in that custom, in that society. Hence, Moses permitted, notice the word permitted, as in this was not ideal, but this is what kind of needed to be done, uh, introduced these certificates. Moses had to put some rules in place, which gave some rights to the women at that time. This meant that she couldn't just be kicked out straight away, that it would take some kind of time and money, which might make the man think again about what's going on. And also means that she can leave with a certificate proving as to the fact that marriage has been ended. The culture at that time was the frivolous ending of marriages, often for no justifiable reason. And I'm making that really clear because Jesus' answer in the verses that we just read, were in direct answer to what was going on. The frivolous ending of marriages for no justifiable reason. Just to clarify, that kind of culture wasn't unique just to Israel. And whilst divorce, or even this type of divorce, is far from the ideal situation, it is a specific outworking of God's value of women. Which I didn't know before I did this preach. I thought it was really interesting. So... The Pharisees hoped that one or both of the following would happen with Jesus by asking him this question. One, they hoped that people would turn away from Jesus. In a region where easy divorce was common, men were leaving their wives for any reason and constantly upgrading to their newest wife, then Jesus' position would be very unpopular. They were hoping Jesus' view on marriage or divorce would thin the crowd down and decrease his popularity. But I think they were really after something more. Now, verse 1 tells us that Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea into the area east of the Jordan River. Now, this history lesson, again, I didn't know this before either. This was a territory that was controlled by Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias. I mean, I'm assuming I'm saying that correctly. Mark, give me a nod. Yes, come on. So, Herod divorced his first wife for no cause and found someone he liked more, named Herodias. At that time, Herodias was married to Herod's brother. Getting really complicated. So, Herod divorced his wife and Herodias left her husband and they got married. Now, John the Baptist shows up and makes a public statement about God's law for um, Herod and Herodias to be married. Herod and Herodias... Eventually, had John the Baptist arrested because of his statement, and placed in prison, and, apology for the spoiler alert, eventually they had him beheaded. So, I believe they were trying to trap Jesus with this question about divorce in order for him to say something publicly about Herod's marriage, which is quite a dicey road to go down. It's quite a trap. Now, I've gone to that into a little bit of detail because that really, really affects Jesus' response. I'm, gonna, I'm, now going, I'm changing the order of the preach now, so I'm going to get really confused when I get to it later. I do believe that if this same question had been asked by a man or a woman who was in a really tricky marriage and something terrible was going on, Jesus' answer would have been, very, very different. He is speaking to specific people who have asked a question with a very specific intention where the culture of frivolous ending of marriages, people just doing it left, right and centre for no reason, he's speaking into that situation. Which is why if you read Jesus' answer, ignoring all the context, you can get a really different understanding. Does that make sense? Right. Oh no, I'm getting really confused now. Okay, that's the attack. Now let's go on to the answer. So, the Pharisees may be testing Jesus, but he turns around and tests them back. What did Moses command you? So, as I said, the Pharisees have quoted Deuteronomy 24. So, when you read that, again, when I first read the Deuteronomy bit about the sending the wife away, that was like, oh my word, I don't like this. I don't, what's, what's, right? This was descriptive, not prescriptive, as in he was describing what was happening, not telling the people what they should do. He's not saying you should send the wife away. There, Moses was describing that certificates were being written and that wives were being sent away. Once I got my head around that, again, I felt far more comfortable. In effect, the Deuteronomy passage was declaring that marriage is a serious business and we are not to play musical chairs with our marriage partners. Men can't rotate women amongst themselves and then start all over again at the beginning. So, Deuteronomy 24, God is regulating the divorces that were already happening. But divorce was never God's intention for marriage. And Jesus didn't want to explore the topic of divorce without setting clear foundations of what marriage is first. And again, this is not written in the preach, but as I was driving here, things became a bit clearer. What I think Jesus was getting at when we are saying this is that the frivolous ending of marriage was going on because they didn't actually have an idea, a clear idea of what God's intention for marriage was in the first place. Because if they did, they wouldn't be ending it left, right and centre. Therefore, in the rest of that passage... Jesus didn't talk huge amounts about divorce. He talked loads about what marriage is actually. So I'm now going to fire you some observations about what is being said about marriage. So, first principle. Marriage should be based on God's word. When Jesus was asked about divorce, what was his response? He responded with, what did Moses say about the law of divorce? So, This is the Old Testament way of saying, what does God say about it? Jesus was committed to upholding the authority of Scripture. He believed and demonstrated that God's Word is true and right about everything it addresses. We should always give God's Word authority over every aspect of our lives. This means we submit our beliefs, our feelings, and our behaviors to the authority of God's Word. This is where we ask... How do I have a strong marriage? What does God's word say? How do I raise and parent my children? What does God's word say? How do I manage my money well? What does God's word say? What if my spouse is not a believer? What does God's word say? What if I want to divorce my spouse? What does God's word say? What if my spouse wants to leave me? What does God's word say? That is where the foundation lies. Always start with what God says first and work from there. Jesus is demonstrating the authority of Scripture on this subject. Principle two. Marriage is not free from problems. I was tempted at this point to give some kind of anecdotal example of that. I I don't know how well that would have gone down. But Anyone here who is married, marriage is not free from problems. Remember the response from the Pharisees that Moses says there was a document for divorce can be written, and that would be the end of the marriage. Again, this was never meant to be an easy and quick divorce. The document of divorce was like for severe issues, whether you were married back then, or as in in the culture of when this was being written, or now. All marriages have problems. Some are more severe than others, but all marriages are difficult at some point. So, in case this is new to you, let me give you three biblical reasons for divorce that God words mention. So, God does allow divorce for major issues. So, back in Deuteronomy 24, that idea of something being wrong with her. When you look at the whole counsel of God on marriage and divorce, this is not about a spouse burning the Sunday roast. This is not about home repair or just your spouse just simply being irritating. This refers to major breaches in the marriage covenants. Since God did not get specific with these details of this, we are allowed to use our own wisdom... And common sense to determine a major breach or pray about it and ask God. It would be the case that we would long to see restoration and reconciliation as a fruit of true repentance over and against a scramble towards divorce. A breach in the marriage covenant does not immediately demand divorce, but may be the only healthy outcome in response to unrepentance or unhardened heart. God allows divorce for adultery. Jesus says, You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, When Jesus refers to the written notice of divorce in Matthew, he is talking about those notes of divorce for any small or insignificant reason. So, remember, there was that prominent view of that day, even though that it was wrong. Jesus is saying, you are not permitted to divorce your spouse for a small or insignificant thing. and That's the bit we keep coming back to. Divorce is only an option as a result of a major breach such as unfaithfulness. And the third reason is God allows divorce for abandonment. When the Bible talks about mixed marriages, this is not about skin color, it's about faith. Throughout scripture, God would command his people to not marry non-believers. A mixed marriage in the Bible is a Christian married to a non-Christian, a believer married to a non-believer. There are situations where a believer is married to an unbeliever. And in these situations, God's word does say if a husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other for God God has called you to live in peace. So these allowances for divorce remind us that marriages will have problems. But all of these allowances should not be the first option nor the second, nor the third. God calls us to do everything we can to make the marriage succeed before looking at the option of divorce. God knows that marriages are going to have some severe issues, and because of his grace, he allows for divorce and remarriage when a major breach happens in the marriage covenant. So, principle three, marriages disintegrate due to hard hearts. No two marriages are the same. And there are many reasons that a marriage might fail. But Jesus gives us insight into into why God allows for divorce when he said in verse 5, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. When a marriage breaks down, it's an indication that someone had a hard heart. A hard heart is a heart that becomes unyielding over time. And has become calloused and insensitive towards their spouse or God's will for their marriage. A hard heart refuses to accept God's teaching and training on how to be faithful towards their spouse. Or how to love their spouse. A hard heart in marriage knows very little of the meaning of love. Principle four? Four. Four. Marriage is to be monogamous. I was terrified of not being able to say that word properly. Marriage is to be one to one. Jesus said in verse 6, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. To help us understand marriage, Jesus takes us all the way back to creation in Genesis. The statement from the beginning of creation tells us that marriage is not based on what other people say it is or what culture determines, but what God decides it to be. God created humans, and he created marriage to work a certain way. It was God's idea. There we are told God made one male and one female. There was no one else. There was no one else to compare your spouse to. There was no one to cheat with. There was no one to leave your spouse for. Adam had one option, and it was Eve. Eve had one option and it was Adam. By creating one man and one woman and letting that be the first couple, God is demonstrating what marriage should look like. One male, one female. This also means that God's provision at work for them meant that those things that can only be found and fulfilled in another person were perfectly met in each other. There was no need to look elsewhere and the same is true for us. Next principle, marriage is intimate unity. Well, at least it's designed to be. At the end of verse 8, Jesus says there are two, sorry, the two are united into one. Oneness in marriage refers to two whole lives uniting together as one, emotionally, sexually, intellectually, financially, spiritually, and in every other way. The two are united into one. In purpose. They are so close that they function like one person, balancing each other's strengths and weaknesses so that together they can fulfill their God given calling as a couple. Myself and Ellie, we complement each other quite well. I am quite aloof. I'm quite loud. I can't help but arrange, go and do things. Ellie is, I'm afraid to say, quite introverted. She brings it back down so that we balance each other out. And hopefully, I help to bring out something in you from my ridiculousness. Marriage is to be permanent. Jesus said in verse 8: since they are no longer two but one, let no, let no one spit apart. What God had joined together. When a man and a woman get married, it is God that has joined them together. The idea of marriage did not come from people. It came from God. God created marriage. He designed it. Marriage originated from him. The phrase, let no one split apart, what God has joined together, refers to divorce. What God has joined together is designed to be permanent. But as we've seen, it can be torn apart by sinful human brokenness God's desire is that your marriage lasts to the end of one of your lives this will take love understanding and forgiveness however God is very aware that not all marriages will make it but even so part of God's glorious grace is that when divorce is necessary sorry I need to say this properly When divorce is necessary, it doesn't mean the end of a person's relationship with God. God does not abandon you because you've gone through a divorce. He still loves you unconditionally. He still cares. He still hears your prayers. And he still wants to give you wisdom throughout your life. He is with you and for you no matter what your situation or circumstances Black and white. All marriages are created equal, but not all divorces. So now we come to that last bit where he's talking to the disciples in verses 10 and 12. He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. This is the bit that people read and can take the wrong meaning from. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. Now, remember, this is in in reflection to the frivolous ending of the marriage as in divorcing someone because they haven't done perfectly mown stripes on the lawn burning the food don't pick after, after themselves where god is concerned if you've ended the marriage frivolously the original marriage is still intact it is not being ripped apart by a breach of the marriage covenant God's word makes it very clear that all marriages are created equal, but not all divorces. I really, really want to draw out and emphasize the buckets and buckets of God's grace that he is willing and is able to lavish on us no matter what our marital status was, is, or will be. Even the woman caught in adultery in John 8 is not treated with contempt by Jesus, but with undeserved kindness and gentleness. Our lives are messy and the situations we find ourselves are often complicated and painful. But God meets us where we are and lavishes his kindness, tenderness and love upon as he draws near and calls us to walk with him in holiness. So that's kind of the the background and the meaning behind it all. I to say we're going to go to application, but I'm really hoping some of the things I've said so far, we've already able to draw and apply already. But basically, what does this actually mean for us? Okay, this is God's original purpose for us. Jesus' intent here is to show us that marriage is not just a legal contract that we can revoke at will if you can afford a good lawyer. Rather, it is a deep, mystical, sacramental union. That is why a breakup is so painful. The two have become one flesh. A breakup produces not two people, but two halves that have been painfully ripped apart. Sometimes, if you're walking through a trackless forest, you can get lost. When that happens, a good thing to do is climb a tall tree, Get above the forest cover and get your bearings again on the sun and the landmarks. That's what Jesus is doing here. It's easy for us to get lost in the daily struggles of marriage or the intricacies of divorce law or to forget what God has called us to in the first place. Jesus is giving us an opportunity to climb a tree, get our bearings and remind ourselves of God's original plan. That is what biblical divorce law is all about. It is not describing God's original intention. Rather, it is a concession to human sinfulness. It was a recognition that because of the human brokenness, God's ideal is never fully achieved. And in some cases, a situation causes so much harm that dissolution is the only solution. But still, it wasn't God's plan. Permanent commitment and lifelong faithfulness is what God wanted to see. So, let me conclude with a few little points. First, this passage is teaching us that the sort of love and intimacy we yearn for is best achieved in a lifelong, faithful, monogamous union with one person. Many people today don't seem to believe this. When I was, right, I'll tell you what, reading about this on the internet, is a dangerous thing to do. And I did come across this kind of article, adverts, which had the tagline, life is short, have an affair. Bit sad, isn't it? Too many people whose marriages seem stale and boring to them. The idea of having an affair seems exciting. But the excitement of unfaithfulness is very short-lived. And the pain that follows can last forever. Second, the passage shows us that marriage is a way of discipleship. It is important to say this because sometimes in Christian history, the church has implied that celibacy, especially in monks and nuns, is a higher way of following Jesus. And while dedicating whilst dedicating your life to Jesus in this way is of great value, either for a season or a lifetime, there is a unique and joyful mutual submission unity and opportunity for discipleship than can be found within the bounds of a godly marriage this section of Mark's gospel shows us Jesus on his way to Jerusalem teaching his disciples about denying themselves, taking up their cross and following him marriage requires enormous quantities of this self-denial we have to die to our own preferences and desires, learn to serve our spouses and so become more like Jesus we are given a model for marriage in scripture. The Christ church relationship. Jesus in the church is a beautiful picture of marriage and sets our eyes on the future day when the pain and the sting of things like unfaithfulness or divorce will be wiped away and we will, as a people be united with our true husband in happiness for eternity. Thirdly, This passage challenges us to rule out frivolous divorce as an option for us. At work, a colleague was discussing the breakup of her marriage, and she told me, The feeling's completely gone from my marriage. There's nothing left. Now, I'm not sure that God has called us to be in loveless marriages. When we feel like there's nothing left, If we start with service and action based on the kinds of self-sacrificial love that Jesus called us to in John 13, affection and tenderness may follow closely behind from either party. At the least, as we strive to be obedient to the call of Christ in us, we can openly petition him to break into our situation and bring about a change of hearts. But in some cases as we've seen, scripture just does seem to allow for divorce. Jesus-ly, Jesus specifically names the grounds as we discussed earlier. These are not frivolous divorces in which I simply trade up my partner for a newer model rather than serious situations in which the marriage has been broken by unfaithfulness, by violence or by something similar. Now, one final bit to say. What about those of us who are on second marriages or who came to them by way of divorce, I think it's important for us to remember the gospel which tells us that God starts with us where we are. So our call is to strive to make what Jesus says about marriage here a reality in our lives, to live that committed, lifelong, one-flesh union with our spouse as a way of faithful Christian discipleship. Can I ask the worship band to come up as I uh, finish? Finally, let me refer to you to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against the other, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. To me, it is clear this threefold cord refers to the help of God, and it can be applied to marriage, in which God and the couple are partners together. So let's not be afraid to call on God's help. God has a huge stake in the success of marriages. Furthermore, Jesus is able to heal our hard-heartedness and give us strength to serve one another in his name. So for those of us who are married, let us live our marriages in God's sight. Call on God's help. Strive towards God's best for us and look forward to the day when all our brokenness is healed in the kingdom of God. For all of us, we will have a role to play in supporting married friends and family. If they know you as a child of God, they may come to you for wisdom. They may come to you for support. And whether they come to you for prayer or not, you can send a prayer their way as well. Our response today... Is going to be a reflective one. If you're married, is God part of it? Have you got that threefold cord? If there are troubles with it, ask for prayer. It seems like an easy thing to do, but it can be really, really hard. if you have friends or family that have been through a hard divorce and they're struggling then hopefully some of this word has given you some, something to base advice and wisdom on and if nothing else out of this question about divorce God has flipped on his head and basically said this is what marriage is this is what marriage really is and if you keep hold of that this frivolous divorce that Jesus was saying you can't do it won't happen because of what God's plan for marriage is